I did it. Fantastic. <laughs> so we're off to a great start. Uh, so far, everything is happening without any technical difficulties. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome to this weekend's Casal Live. Everybody in chat. Uh, we'll just go down the list here. Addie Tooney, Apathy Miller, Adrian Mason, Mike Berg, Pam Spragans. Um, not trying to repeat names here. Shannon Ole, uh, Cemetery Gates, ominous name for a vape chat. Um, NorCal Vaping. Uh, I think I got everybody so far. Again, thank you all for joining us today. We have, once again, a very special guest. Uh, and uh, we'll get right to this because we're all working on some time constraints here. So without further ado, we'll get right into it with uh, our friend, uh, author, writer, uh, critical thinker, uh, Jacob, Jacob Greer. Or am I, am I, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to pop up on the screen. I was like, all right, here we go. Well, I, I wasn't sure if Alex was going to hit the button or if I was supposed to. I have fruit glitch. Oh, well. <laughs> Pretty quickly ended the, I ended thinking, the screen. I have to hit a button? Am I the one messing this up? No. All right, no, go. no, no. Not at all. <laughs> go team. Oh. Well, we're all here. And um, thanks, thanks for joining us on a Saturday and a holiday weekend. Yeah, always good to be here. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, I think uh, you're like the most... Uh, most <laughs> Featured guest we've had now officially with three. This oh, is your third uh, time. Third time we around. Wow. All right. <laughs> so, um, as as mentioned at the top, uh, we are here to talk about Jacob's new book, uh, the new prohibition, the dangerous politics of tobacco control, um, which is 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 really uh, a collection of articles that you've already published, um, and I, I'll just say, you know, who thinks. Go look them up. No, it's a great collection of articles. Uh, Jacob's excellent writing on this topic. Uh, and one of the things I was thinking the whole time was this is a great, you know, uh, um, uh, it, I, I had the words in my head like yesterday, but it's, it's a crash course. It's a very thoughtful crash course in tobacco harm reduction and the policies that we're all dealing with. Um, and so it sort of led me to the, the question of, uh, why put this all together and why now? Yeah, so um, so you know, I, I was on the show before from my previous book, the uh, the rediscovery of tobacco, and as I'm ah yes, there we go. Yeah, I've got one too. <laughs> um, I write Kindle, so I can't hold it up. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, as I mentioned in the introduction to the new book, you know, I wrote I spent a long time on the rediscovery of tobacco and. Uh, it came out in 2019, and I had pictured it as like the last thing I ever really need to write about tobacco issues. <laughs> I was like, I've got the everything out in a linear argument. I've covered all the bases. Uh, maybe I'll move on and start doing something else now. Uh, and then it ended up the past few years were really eventful, uh, as I'm sure everyone who follows this knows. <laughs> There's been a lot going on in the uh, the space of tobacco control and harm reduction with vaping. Uh, so I just kept writing and finding more and more things uh, that I felt needed coverage and uh, that I could maybe tackle in a more clear way as well. Uh, and so a few months ago, I was kind of looking over the past few years of work and I just realized that I've got all this new material that is thematically connected, uh, all tied up with this idea of uh, going down the path of prohibition. Uh, and so, yeah, I put them together. I realized it was enough for a new book. Um, and to, to add a little value and to tie it all together, I did write a, a brand new introduction of, of about 2,500 words. So that yeah. uh, explains a lot about the book. 
so yeah, so if you buy it, you do you get one thing new. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not all previously published, but um, you know, it's it, I really wrote it because I had all these articles that thematically were connected, but they were scattered around the web in different publications. Uh, and I felt like these ideas were important enough uh, to bring them all together in one book that somebody who maybe doesn't follow my work or has only read a little bit of it or who's just totally new to the topic uh, altogether uh, could get all this information in one place. Um, so yeah, if you follow me and like you you read my work, I take no offense if you don't buy the new book, uh, but you know, maybe buy a copy and give it to somebody who who would benefit from reading it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I wouldn't take offense either, but I, I will say, I, I think, uh, you know, for our part, this is a, this is a valuable resource. Um, you know, it's not as, as dense as say something like ashes to ashes, but, uh, this, this really does have, and, and with an appreciation for, for nuance and complexity. And when talking about policies, uh, in, 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 in a book that is deceptively small, uh, I think it's covered <laughs> here. So. Yeah, yeah uh, I was going to say, I, I didn't want a little thicker if you, <laughs> You want to feel smarter, get the hardcover. It's, it's hard yeah. There's like another quarter inch in thickness there. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that, you know, you said you added that big intro, which was was great. Um, I just wanted the audience to understand that this is not a hard read. This is not something that's all, um, you're, you're going to relate to it. You're going to, it's going to go really fast. I mean, I started reading it yesterday. I finished it this morning after a couple hours. So, I mean, it's, and I've been doing this since 2009 and I still learned some stuff from it. So, um, yeah. So if the audience, and this is to the audience, they, they don't, don't think you've heard it all. Don't think, cause I mean, I've probably read all of Jacob's articles too. Um, and not just on, on this topic. And it was a really great refresher. I'm like, Oh, did he, when did he write this one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> So it all came back. So yeah, it was, it's really interesting. It's not just about vaping. It's about how we got here to the whole background. So which you must have found was really interesting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, one of the things uh, you know about the book is you know, it's divided into four sections, and the second section is about issues regarding smoking bans, which mm -hmm. you know, if you're in the vape community, probably isn't your your biggest concern. Uh, although there are now you know lots of places that are banning vaping in, in different places where smoking used to be banned, um, but I think people who maybe became new to this issue and, and didn't follow it a long time ago. And I've, I've been writing about these issues since I want to say about 2008 or so. So I've been in it for a long time. Is that the tactics that are used right now uh, to damage tobacco harm reduction and to spread mis misinformation about vaping really come back to what was done in the debates over secondhand smoke and smoking bans back at the earlier part of the century. Uh, and that's not to say that there's zero risk with secondhand smoke. Obviously, it's not a, a desirable thing, but they were you know, taken way out of proportion uh, to what the risk actually were to create alarmism about the issue. And, and also to erase the idea that people who use nicotine or tobacco have any liberties that people need to care about. Uh, so when they erase the idea that people who smoke, and, and back then it was pretty much just smoking, vaping didn't really exist as much, you know, that people who smoke have no rights to these public spaces or, or private spaces where only they can go. Uh, that really laid the groundwork for what we've seen with the fights over tobacco harm reduction. And sometimes it's the same people uh, as in Stanton Glantz. Like if you only know Stanton Glantz from his uh, retracted study on vaping and other things he's said about vaping, you'll, you'll enjoy the chapter on what he said about secondhand smoke and made some really absurd claims back in the early 2000s. The H Helena miracle? <laughs> yes, yeah, Hel Helena Montana. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, I have a lot of quotes here that I'm putting up that are from that section that I thought was really important for our viewers to see, because a lot of vapors are just not aware of how much even they were manipulated during that time period that shapes how they feel even about themselves, about being vapors and being, you know, having formally smoked. It's, it really makes you stop and think about, and this was a good one was non-smokers have unleashed the coercive power of the state to claim ever more spaces for themselves, curtailing smokers freedom and wiping out their social gatherings. And, and I mean, and it's true. It's like we went from, you could smoke anywhere to you can't smoke anywhere, you know, and, and suddenly it's like, well, you've got non-smokers rights, but smokers don't have rights. And even like you said in the book, a place of their own, why can't we have a place of our own to go? Why can't you vape in a vape shop? How many non-vapers are going to walk into a vape shop? Why can't you vape in a smoking bar that, you know, and like you pointed out, the, the tables have turned and now there's far more places where you can go that you aren't going to run into people smoking. So having one or two places just seems like, why, why can't you do that? You know? Yeah. And if you talk to normal people and by normal people, I mean, people who don't work in tobacco control as a career, um, <laughs> you know, they support smoking mans in the abstract. Like they're glad that they can go out and they don't have to think about whether they're going to be exposed to cigarette smoke or come home smelling like cigarette smoke. And that's, that's really their main concern. You know, they're not the ones saying that it should be illegal to have a cigar bar in the entire state of Washington or the entire state of North Dakota. Right. Or, or that it should be illegal to open a new one where I live in Oregon. You know, and when you talk to normal people, and a lot of them don't even realize this is the case. You know, they, they would just assume that there's these exemptions for places like that. Uh, but the laws are written by people with much more extreme stances and you know, lots of funding from Bloomberg. So uh, people who don't pay attention to the issue end up you know, supporting laws that are more restrictive than I think they would really endorse if, if they were you know, asked in the abstract you know, what, what the, or asked about specifics about what might maybe should be allowed. Speaking of uh, South Dakota, and I think you noted the update in the book um, that this year there was a bill introduced to allow for new cigar bars uh, in, in South Dakota. Um, and I, I had seen, a, I think, um, Half Wheel might have reported on it recently that uh, that the bill, I think, has passed at least the first chamber. So it is progressing and it sounds like <laughs> it sounds promising that South or North Dakota may be able to have cigar bars soon. I hope so. I know they passed one chamber back when I first wrote that, which I think was 2020. So or maybe 2021. So, yeah, the, <laughs> and then it narrowly, narrowly lost in the second chamber. So, fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, this time. Yeah. We'll see. Um, so, it, you know, speaking of all the secondhand and thirdhand smoke stuff, um, one question that came to mind was, uh, you know, with, with the outrageous claims of thirdhand smoke. And, and for those who, who don't know, and, and not to give any thing away about the book, go buy the book. But, you know, talking about this idea that, that people who smoke themselves are toxic and dangerous to be around um, you know, I mean, what, what an outrageous claim to begin with, but in an age of chemophobia, certainly that had some legs. Um, but you know, in, in your reporting and, 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 and following this issue, did third hand smoke reach a level of credibility that in, and even with secondhand smoke, now that we have the ability to go back and kind of check that and see like, okay, no, it's not that dangerous for people to be around. And, um, 
uh, not to go too far off the rails, but I remember, uh, I think it was either when I first started vaping or I was still smoking. I remember hearing a guest on uh, a WNYC program, uh, and this person was talking about how, you know, banning smoking in Central Park or, or parks around New York City, it had nothing to do with protecting the public. It was all about pressuring people who smoke to quit. Um, and so now that, that that has sort of come out, have you seen or, or, or do you think about tobacco control broadly losing credibility? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen the third hand smoke issue come up in uh, in the past mm. few years, and I'm, and I'm not really sure why that is. Mm. Um, but if you, you know, anytime you look at the actual studies or like meta analysis done in serious scientific journals on third hand smoke, they're always very careful to say that this is all speculative right now. <laughs> like we know the substance exists. Like anybody knows it exists. You can smell it on your clothes. Um, but then they always say like we need to do epidemiological work to find out if this is actually harmful. Uh, nobody really knows what the risks possibly are. Uh, but no, I've been shocked at how uncritical the coverage it gets is when uh, the scientists behind this then send out a press release and go on a campaign to get it covered. And you've got publications like the New York Times and Scientific American uh, just kind of uncritically <laughs> uh, you know, elevating these views without ever taking a step back and you know, seeing how realistic they are. Uh, like the New York Times example is particularly egregious. Uh, it was about a study that involved no epi epidemiological work at all. It was literally just a phone survey uh, where <laughs> these doctors at Harvard, you know, hired a firm to call random random people and do a survey and just say, hey, are you concerned about this stuff called third-hand smoke? And that was the entire basis for a big New York Times article about this new danger that people were unaware of. Uh, so I don't think it's really hurt their credibility because uh, I don't think most people really paid attention to it. But the it definitely made <laughs> it definitely made me lose confidence in uh, some journalists. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fact that they they didn't push back on this idea at all. Yeah, there's a lot of that, and I know that this is uh, you know a lot of people in the drug policy reform space have talked about this, and and you know it's uh, I even I think. Um, um, Oh, I'm, I'm forgetting who it, it was either on the daily show or um, it could have been um, uh, last week tonight, John Oliver, uh, someone kind of went after journalism and, and uh, journalist and reporting on the drug war and this, I, the, this sort of lazy reliance on statements from, you know, local PD or the sheriff. And, and, and of course all they're going to deliver are their copaganda talking points um, and, and so it, it's, it's, it's sort of across a lot of issues. It seems uh, this problem of not, not pushing back or, or asking critical questions about, um, you know, what people are, are promoting in terms of, of research or policy or even a crime scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely a problem across the board. I do think, I mean, it, I feel like local news is going to have a hard time with these issues, no matter where they come down, you know, they just don't have the resources or the time to, to really investigate. And they're more interested in doing a short bit on whatever the story is. Uh, I think it is disappointing when, you know, national news outlets, which tend to be more liberal, have this blind spot on nicotine and tobacco, uh, where, you know, on issues like cannabis or alcohol and increasingly even some other drugs, there is some skepticism of, you know, things that are, that are said by prohibitionists. Like there's pushback against the idea that 
uh, police officers are you know going into shock from touching fentanyl, which <laughs> we know yeah. we know it doesn't actually happen. Uh, but there's really no pushback in that community on anything related to nicotine. Uh, and it, it's so rare to find journalists uh, of any persuasion, but especially in the sort of the mainstream liberal uh, outlets like the New York Times. And, and I'm, I'm a New York Times subscriber and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a liberal journalist. Like I, I'm talking about my own people here. And I, I think, you know, the New York Times is a great newspaper. I'm not trying to be one of these people who comes out and bashes the mainstream media. Uh, but on this issue, they're terrible <laughs> and they're consistently terrible and have been for years. And so it's really frustrating. Yeah. And a lot of this and I, I think this is one of the themes that that you picked up, uh, you know, throughout your your coverage of this is uh, and, and certainly it's it's uh, kind of front and center in a few of the articles that you've included in the book is um, this idea of dehumanizing and stig stigmatizing people who smoke to the to that point. And we've said this probably already in in this in this hour uh, is that, you know, portraying us as sort of uh, uh, rubes who've been duped by the, the tobacco companies. And that's right in the front. You're breaking up, Alex. Oh, am I? Yeah. <laughs> wow, everything. <laughs> I, I just got a screen that says I'm uploading recordings. Oh, I wonder if, it, if you like ended up logging out for a second when I didn't when touch buffered. anything. No, I mean, when it buffered, the system oh, okay. might have thought that you left and came back or something. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I completely lost my train of thought there, but what I... <laughs> you were talking about how we were, were we were treated like we're either we were duped, and I have a good quote for this one I'll put up on the screen, how we were like that consumers were duped by big tobacco or right. Addicts, so I think is what you were going to say. As, as a result of the campaigns, we've all been portrayed as... Uh, 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 victims of tobacco companies. We have no agency. It, it's it, it, even even deciding to smoke that first cigarette wasn't our own choice. Um, and, and in line with that, uh, recently we've heard and 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 read things about uh, changing the language about how we talk about people who smoke, people who use nicotine. And uh, I know that what you ha have written, a lot of what you've written here uh, was published, you know, prior to any conversation being elevated to the point where more people are talking about it. Um, but it, at any point, you know, you, uh, you certainly took the opportunity to uh, update, provide context on um, uh, issues uh, that, you know, since you wrote about it, I don't know, even a year ago, things have changed and, and there's sort of that bracketed update, you know, here's what's going on now. Did you think at all, this is a two part question, <laughs> uh, in, in putting all of this stuff together, did you have a thought at all about going back and replacing use of the word smoker? And then the second part is going forward as a writer, um, what challenges do you face in incorporating kind of updating your language in, in what you, in your work? That's a great question, uh, and it's one I thought of, I've thought about a lot. Like even prior to uh, to uh, this new book coming out, uh, and and you know, these conversations about uh, language, which I know Skip Murray has been a big advocate of, uh, and, and it has it has made me use the phrase "people who smoke" more often. I, I will say, uh, for two reasons, I don't use it all the time. Uh, one is that I write about this a lot, and I write long articles, and just from a language perspective to always say people who smoke and not ever being able to say smoker, uh, it just becomes too repetitive and, and unstylistic. So 
I, I do use both. Um, the the other reason is um, I, I thought about this before, where I I used to not uh, you know I'm, I I got into this whole issue because I like an occasional cigar, and uh, that's what got me into the writing about smoking bans way back in the early two thousands was seeing the cigar lounges that I would go to be threatened with closure. And uh, back then, I would always distance myself from the idea that I was a smoker. I'd be like, oh, I'm not a smoker. I'm, I'm just, I just like an occasional cigar. I'm not, I'm not one of those, those smokers. And I thought that was self, realized that was self-defeating. And so I actually started using the phrase myself because I'm like, no, I am a smoker. <laughs> like we're, and we are all in this together of, uh, you know, fighting restrictions on our liberty. Uh, so I actually came around to embracing the term somewhat in uh, in a way that derogatory terms are often, uh, you know, used by the people that they're used to refer to, uh, to kind of take them back. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it is definitely one of those things. I don't, we, we haven't as a society reached this point, but it, but it, it I, I suspect, actually, I have no confidence. We'll get to a point where it is socially acceptable for, for us to call one another smokers, but not them. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do I do believe I mean, that is a, a standard, I think, that, uh, you know, researchers and policymakers should be held to. Um, they are not, you know, undertaking some sort of journalistic enterprise or, or, you know, writing thoughtfully about this. They are just, you know, regurgitating studies and whatnot or, or doing the research. And I think, um, you know, for our part, I think one of the directions we're moving in is, is as an organization um, at least more forcefully, it's always been part of our mission, but, you know, including people who use the products in the, the science and policymaking decisions. Um, so, uh, you know, any, any, any amount that anybody can do to, to get there is, is, is appreciative. Um, and, but I do understand, you know, there are, are stylistic constraints and, and definitely I, I was working on something and, you know, if, if, if you had to write people, people with lived experience 20 times in, uh, in, in some sort of paper, it gets, it gets, it starts to hurt. It physically starts to hurt. Yeah. And anybody who doesn't believe me, go read legislation from, from, from Maryland. <laughs> it is, nothing is shortened. It is, it is, it is painful on yeah. the face to read. Yeah. And like going back to what you said before about people not respecting the agency of people who smoke or vape or use any, any kind of tobacco product, and the way the media covers this, like I definitely saw this frustration here in Oregon uh, because where I live, which is Portland, uh, we just had a, a countywide ban on flavor, all flavored nicotine and tobacco products across the board just passed. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at any of the news coverage from you know, pretty much every publication and TV channel that we have here, they, they would say they're gonna go get the pro side and the pro side is you know, some scientist or nonprofit advocate uh, who's going to take a very selfless, seemingly selfless, you know, point of view on how we have to protect people and ban these products. And then when they try to get the anti side, the only people they ever think of to talk to were store owners. And, you know, store owners ultimately aren't who this is about. It's about, uh, well, people who use them <laughs> and also, you know, the, the people who can make the case for harm reduction. And that never gets brought up in uh, any of the coverage here. No, and it's the same here. Uh, Vermont is, I, I, I get uh, TV stations from Vermont uh, and uh, they're looking at their own statewide flavor ban. 
Um, and uh, similarly, it was the same. It's a, it's like a, somebody's got a, a, there's just a boilerplate out there that says, this is how you cover the vaping issue. <laughs> and it was, you know, I was, I was hopeful that there would be someone who actually uses the products featured, but no, they went to a shop owner and it was the same response we've heard all over the country is that, yep, this will definitely hurt my business. And that's where, that's pretty much where they leave it off. Uh, yeah. They don't get into harm reduction or people quitting smoking. Right. And that's and what then this, that's what this is about too. Oh yeah. Sorry. I was gonna say, yeah. And then it becomes the story of the business owner versus the public health. Right. And then of course, and that's, why I public yeah. health. and that's one of our frustrations as consumers. And that's one of the reasons why I pulled this quote. I mean, I just love that line of the cover, the coverage of the topic presents it as a business story or a political drama. I missed an A there when I was typing it out um, <laughs> with focus on the future of Juul or the use of e-cigarettes among youth. But of the eight to 10 million American adults who vape and may be driven to smoking or the 34 million Americans who smoke and are being denied access to safer alternatives, there's hardly a word, which is so true. And then even if we do get... Um, some of the new, and then this was a topic I wanted to touch on that you had in the book that a lot of people kind of pull away from and you didn't, was um, that even the people who have sort of embraced tobacco harm reduction aren't always, are, you know, like you said, they're like prohibition light, you know, they don't really seem to, they still have too much of the tobacco control mentality to see vapors and people who smoke or used to smoke as as people, you know, like you said, they're, they're, they're people who are seeking nicotine and need safer alternatives. That's all, you know, or, or, you know, nicotine users who are seeking alternative. I forget how you say mm -hmm. it. I should probably pull a quote up, but how did you feel when you started seeing that? That yeah, it's a, even our friends were not quite right. our friends. <laughs> yeah, it's a divide I have with some of the, uh, some of the more academic people in tobacco control when, sure. when we talk about this. Oh yeah. Perfect. Great. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I use the concept in the book, uh, I call it, I think I call it side constraints, uh, which is that, you know, it, it's good to have this public policy goal of eliminating deaths from smoking and trying to make people smoke less. And there's all kinds of ways you can do that, uh, from educational campaigns to taxes, to restricting where people can smoke, to, uh, obviously promoting safer alternatives, which is you know, a fairly new thing that uh, a lot of people are hostile to, but everybody on this call is probably very in favor of. Uh, you can do all those things and still recognize that there are constraints on what you should be capable of doing in a liberal society. And, and I think that comes down to a basic, uh, you know, respect for adults' bodily autonomy. And right. say that there's a lot you can do to discourage vaping and a lot you can do to discourage smoking or whatever you want to discourage. But at the end of the day, if you're telling a consenting adult that they can't have a strawberry vape or they can't have a cigar or they can't even have a cigarette, I think you've gone too far and you've started imposing your will on them in ways that shouldn't be acceptable in a liberal society. That actually, it, set, it sets up, you know, one of the things you discuss in, in I think it's the um, first section, the future of tobacco. Um, uh, you, you talked about your experience. Uh, was it in Switzerland trying to buy an ICOS? It wasn't even trying to buy. Yeah, so so I was invited on a press trip to the uh, the Philip Morris Research Headquarters, uh, which before anybody says anything, I paid for all my travel because <laughs> that's the first thing people will say is that oh you're you're in Philip Morris's pocket. Um, you shall, yeah, you shall, you. 
uh, it was a fun trip. Switzerland's great. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, the whole, the whole trip was because they wanted to talk about ICOS and it, all the research they're doing on heat, not burn and their, their innovation. And, uh, yeah, they, they wouldn't let me try one, <laughs> which, which I understood why they do it. And it's because, you know, they're really trying to protect this image of this is only for people who smoke to get them onto the safer product. And we don't want people who aren't doing that to do it. So me and the other journalists on the trip, they asked us like, do you guys smoke cigarettes? We both said, no. They're like, well, you, you can't try this, but we'll tell you about it. <laughs> so, I have tried them before. I've had friends who who have them, but uh, yeah, was not allowed to do it there. Yeah, and that was it's something that that Casa has been openly critical of PMI about, uh, and, and, and you know, not I don't know if critical is the right word, but it, it's it does check some box there. Um, but you know, questioning the wisdom of restricting ICOS to people who currently smoke. Um, you know, it's a, it's a product that like vaping, you know, if that's the first place you land, uh, you're already starting off better than folks who are sort of limited to buying cigarettes. Um, and so I, I, I just wanted to kind of bring that up again. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I think in PMI's case, as, as you stated, it's more of a, a concern about image and, you know, trying to promote themselves as ending smoking as the company that, popularized smoking. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know how much of that is in the vein of, you know, some of our, some of our friends, some of our allies are still sort of rigidly in that kind of medicalized rollout of, of harm reduction, rather than giving free thinking adults the ability to choose. Um, and, and, you know, we do like safer alternatives. It's yeah. just, yeah. I, I just want to say that I've always, I've often used two different examples with that. And one is it's like saying you can't use condoms until you've gotten a sexually transmitted disease or that you can't use your seatbelt until you've been in a car accident. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. Because people are going to use nicotine. So basically you're saying, okay, you, we won't even allow you in the store to buy these products, but there's 15 gas stations down the road you can go buy cigarettes at. Go to it. <laughs> Then come back and we'll get you, we'll let you have an idea. Yeah, right. I mean, just the rationale of that just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I'm trying to think there was one. Go ahead. So, well, I think, um, you know, one of the things uh, I, I was thinking about that I don't know that you got into it, but this is sort of on my um, radar a lot. I'm looking through my notes to see if I wrote down something that sounds um, intelligent. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was about flavors and nicotine pouches and, 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 and smokeless in general, um, you know, being someone who's covered, uh, is, is the gastronomy of alcohol, uh, a thing or, you know, covering at least the, the, um, the interesting cocktails and, and whatnot that we get out of alcohol and with, you know, just being around flavor preferences, uh, in particular Americans, uh, I know because my dad worked for a candy company that Americans prefer sweeter things generally. Like it's not just kids. Uh, and so one of the things that has been kind of rallying around in my head is I would love to see nicotine pouches everywhere. I think it is the nicotine product that anybody who currently smokes or has used tobacco in the, in the past and has kind of been, you know, brainwashed by the, the outsized uh, 
claims of harm from smokeless tobacco products are going to be more interested in, in perhaps switching to nicotine pouches. But they're all it's the same problem that vapor has, right? There's no natural, there's no non flavored nicotine pouch. It's either, you know, it's tobacco flavored, maybe, and then they can, they've got the freedom to go wherever they want. So I guess the question was, uh, given your background in beverage and so on, are, are companies going to have to make these America sweet products uh, to appeal to the American consumer? Or could we see an, an part of companies actually you're breaking up again. Oh, yeah. He's almost completely broken up now. Yeah, I missed, I missed the end of the question there. Yeah, okay. You're back now, okay, but we missed what you just, we missed the question. <laughs> so the, the question is, do companies have to uh, uh, cater to America's sweet preferences? Uh, or do you think that maybe, and, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm stretching, I'm reaching to the end of the book and your visit to the tobacco farm yeah. and cigar making operation by the one, one woman band. Uh, and, uh, or is, is it possible for companies to actually introduce Americans to the, the real tobacco flavors out of Sweden? Uh, and, and, you know, even the, the sweet and fruity things out of Europe are not overly saccharine sweet like we have in America. Yeah, you probably know more about that than I do. I did have a really interesting experience um, when I was in Stockholm. I got to go to the uh, the flagship store for, uh, I think they called it General Snooze. Maybe it wasn't General, but it was one of the, the big snooze companies there. And it was totally unlike anything you'd see in the US, where one, it felt, it didn't feel like a convenience store. It felt like a, a like upscale Starbucks or a nice coffee shop or a wine bar. And, you know, they had tables where you could relax and hang out and like nice lighting. Uh, but then they also had a um, make your own snooze flavor blending thing going on. Okay. So when I walked in, there were like four or five consumers gathered around kind of a bar uh, with you know, the shop manager or someone there as well. And they were tasting different things and then creating their own blends right there in the shop. And, you know, that would be so stigmatized in the U.S. to try something like that. Uh, and but, illegal. And illegal, right. yeah. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> who knows what this new flavor is? We, we haven't determined if each individual's uh, flavor is appropriate for the protection of public health. So we, <laughs> we couldn't let them do that. Yeah, and I think, and, uh, and to that point, I think you, you gave that, that uh, the, what we just mentioned, uh, some, uh, some coverage in, in this book and in previous articles is that, you know, you go to somewhere like, like Sweden, where uh, snus is credited for, for reducing smoking prevalence uh, in, in the absence of really any other uh, strong or harsh uh, tobacco control policies. Uh, and and it, it, it is, I, I've seen pictures of, you know, going into a, a not quite so upscale tobacco store, but, you know, drink coolers filled with snus in every flavor and variety you could imagine. Uh, but to bring that to the United States, we have this bottleneck, which is the Tobacco Control Act and, and FDA regulation. Uh, and so, you know, we we seem to be unable to replicate the success in Sweden because of our policies. Yeah, completely agreed. And uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what the answer is, except to liberalize our laws, which is going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, or replace everyone at the top of the FDA Center for Tobacco Products, which... <laughs> Also, probably isn't going to happen soon. Just wait for them to retire, I guess, or or 
come to the we come to their senses and realize they can be more good working here. for Philip Morris. That's so. yeah. And if that ever happens with Brian King, we'll know we're winning. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, I had. You, were you going to go, go ahead? I'm searching for my last oh, okay. questions. Here. Uh, I wanted to kind of circle back to this one, um, only because it it it, it kind of covers a lot of it about that. Um, just how how we're treated, you know, and and where where our uh, regulations have gone in the U.S. and and why I think a lot of people who vape are very very confused as to why tobacco control doesn't like us, you know, now that we don't smoke anymore, you know, and what, why they want to treat vaping like smoking and um, how it's that's becoming stigmatized too, and how it was just it was a concerted effort. It was a um, purposeful, I'm missing the word I'm looking for, but, uh, but they, they were really, they did it on purpose to, to delegitimize, delegitimize smokers from the very beginning of the anti-smoking movement. I'm just going to read it. Uh, when the relevant fronts in the war on smoking were fighting tobacco companies and pushing for smoking bans, their strategy was to stigmatize smokers by portraying them as either passive addicts victimized by big tobacco or as unwelcome aggressors fouling smoke uh, that's supposed to be non-smokers clean air uh the spread of ever more expansive smoking bans starting reasonably in airplanes but extending eventually to parks benches private homes and entire towns could never have been justified if one took the rights of smokers seriously so professionals in tobacco control decided not to do so and i was going to tie this in and i'm going to put drop the link in the um in the description, but uh, did you see that article that, uh, and I don't know, maybe I can just pull it up, that um, that man, that, that it was so sad, it was in uh, Canada where um, he was stabbed to death for asking somebody not to vape outside. And no, yeah, and um, I'll, I'll drop the link here in the chat. Uh, I'm not going to pull it up on the screen, but um, yeah, he was outside waiting, I think a coffee shop or something waiting for his wife inside and he was with his young daughter and there was a man nearby vaping and he demanded that the guy stop vaping because he was concerned about his daughter. And of course, I'm not justifying what this guy did. I mean, the vapor, obviously it was horrific and he should never have done that. Um, but what, what got me about it, that what jumped out at me with that, was that attitude of what I just read of how it's been so stigmatized and things like third-hand smoke and, and now the vapor is just, you know, one small whiff and you're going to die, the Helena miracle, all that stuff has just built up to this point now where this man was so afraid of some vapor from a guy a little bit down the road that this confrontation took place where had, if he had had the truth about it, he probably wouldn't, have, he would have been like, oh, okay, whatever, that guy's vaping down there, no big deal. But he basically has been lied to by public health and vapors and people who smoke have been so stigmatized and, and the smoke has been like one small whiff type thing will cause you to have a heart attack. And we've seen that, um, that he felt he needed to protect his daughter, you know, and that caused a confrontation where this crazy person ended up you know, unfortunately, the vapor happened to be a horrible person. Um, it should, never should have happened. Please do not think that I'm giving him any excuse. <laughs> I'm blaming public health for lying to this guy 
which made him confront this guy in the first place. If he knew the truth that vaping outside, you know, in front of his kid wasn't going to hurt her, that confrontation probably never would have happened. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, there's something for your next book to put in there of how deaths are being caused by tobacco control, you know? It's, yeah, like, and I cited another example in the book that was, it was actually a journalist who, who wrote about, she was writing about third-hand smoke. Right. And she said, you know, I, I don't want my friends who smoke to hold my baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just an absurd level of worry, you know, that you're putting yourself in that position. Yeah, when that whole thing came out, I think there was a thing on like Ask Ann or Dear Abby or something like that where a woman did not want to let her mother who smoked come see her new grandbaby right. because of it. And you're starting to see things where, well, this parent smokes, this parent doesn't. So the parent who doesn't smoke gets the kid or mm -hmm. people who vape can't be foster parents. You know, I mean, there's there's that that's a law I came across a lot when I was when I was updating the state pages for the CASA site the other day looking for what laws are on the books and there was a lot of laws where you can't vape if you're a foster parent you obviously you can't smoke because that was already in place they just add vaping to that and now how many decent people have you taken out of the loop that they just happen to use nicotine I mean, could you imagine if they said if you drink coffee or if you ever have a glass of wine you can't ever be a foster parent right. you know <laughs> i mean i don't know it just that whole, that's why I want people to read this because I think a lot, you give a really great sort of, for even people who vape, because we ourselves have been given this line or all these lies, line, I should say plural lines, um, of how, you know, we, we believe it all. We, we believe that, that snooze and chew causes mouth cancer more than smoking would. We believe that, you know, smoking makes your lungs whack. We believe that you know, one whiff will make you drop from a heart attack. You know, I mean, <laughs> a lot of vapors believe that still. And, you know, like they don't want to vape around people. You know, now I was thinking it'll kill your pets if you vape in the house. I'm seeing that now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just they need to read. That's why I want people to read stuff like this so they can see this history. I think you did a really great job of of pulling a lot of that together without making it really like, oh, lawn and drawn out of like dates and, and right. lots of surgeon generals and stuff like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that you're like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't, you know, I mean, I knew a lot of it, but I mean, yeah. uh, the third hand smokes on the stuff that she brought up, I hadn't known, you know, Alex said too, you said that you hadn't realized it had gotten as Crazy yeah, I, I, I hadn't realized it had caught on so much. And and, and I, I realized we're, we're kind of coming to the end here. So I did want to get a, a, at least one thing kind of in uh, that sort of popped up through this conversation, um, which was, uh, you know, th this this tactic of stigmatizing and dehumanizing and alienating people uh, is as old as the tobacco issue. And I, I appreciate that you dropped the, the King James first James, quote yeah. in there from, from <laughs> counterblast to tobacco. Um, which I, I don't think that specific quote actually went into it, but uh, throughout that that little book, um, there uh, ultimately he gets to a point of essentially comparing people who use tobacco to the savages from whence the tobacco plant came, uh, and uh, and and so it's, casual racism to go in with the racism, yeah, and so. Uh, it, you know, and that, of course, you know, it's it's just another thing where, you know, this idea of the, that we need this, you know, heavy coercion and so on 
Uh, it, it has its roots in, in racism and classism and, and all of the isms that are bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, uh, you know, ultimately the question is, you know, uh, as we're talking about people who are so fearful of being around folks who smoke, uh, at the same time, we also have the issue of, uh, you know, Massachusetts, New York, California, where where flavors have been banned. And now, as predicted, we're seeing, uh, you know, the, the people who were who are selling drugs illegally. Uh, now, you know, these are products that they're adding to their inventory and so the same, you know, if you're worried about your kids buying vapes from a vape shop, just wait till they start buying it from someone selling <laughs> drugs. Uh, and, and and this was predictable. We know this is happening uh, in, in spite of all of the downplaying by the, the anti-groups. So, you know, ultimately the question is, what's it going to take for the controllers to realize that that, that they've turned the screws too tight and they're actually causing more harm and we're just repeating the mistakes of the past? Yeah, you're starting to see them retreat a little bit, I, I think, you know, where, um, you know, they used to say when discussing flavor bans or menthol bans, like, oh, nobody's going to get arrested for this. It's it's just regulation. And now they've kind of pulled back a little bit and they're saying, well, people who smoke or vape aren't going to get arrested. <laughs> and like, that was never really the fear. Like, anybody who thought that, you know, somebody smoking a menthol was going to be you know, clubbed and pulled in the back of a police truck. You know, that, that was never a serious objection anyway. Uh, but don't vape on a boardwalk in Maryland yeah. or Atlanta. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the more routine fear is that this is going to create illicit markets and mm-hmm. that police are then going to start enforcing against those. <clears throat> and, you know, sellers, which doesn't mean executives at uh, Altria or RJ Reynolds, it mm-hmm. means mostly like minority owners of convenience stores and Air people are in, of the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, we're not talking about successful, rich, highly educated people who are probably going to be smuggling flavored vapes and flavored mm-hmm. cigarettes. It's, <laughs> that's not who's going to bear the brunt of this enforcement. Um, so yeah. The, and so there's a lot of ignorance about how this works. And uh, again, the, uh, the press is failing to push back on this. The you, liberal you, press, you'd think, yeah, right? perfect, but it's yeah. it's we're the last, you know. Uh, uh, we I, I used to say we and obese people were the last groups that you could completely make fun of and hate, and it was okay. <laughs> well, now obese people aren't even in that. It's just, and even even cigarette smokers aren't in it either. Now yeah. it's there's people get vape shamed. I mean. <laughs> Google vape shaming one of these times or even do a hashtag on Twitter. Like we need to start vape shaming people. They should just go back to smoking. I mean, it's like, you know, (laughs) and you with the Eric Gardner, you put that in there. And I think a lot of vapors and and people who smoke even don't realize how that whole thing started with Eric Gardner and why, why police were even approaching him and trying to arrest him in the first place. And it was because he was selling individual cigarettes, which tobacco control in their wisdom thought, well, if we make them buy a full pack, then then it'll be better for them. No, right. then you'll get and, your taxes and that's it. You know, and, ignoring and, the fact that the pack was bought and the tax was paid at the time the tax was bought. But yeah. And, and the thing that people miss when they cover this issue is that, you know, the, the pro ban people can truthfully point at the law and say, well, this is just a regulation. It doesn't involve the police at all. They're not the ones empowered to enforce this. 
completely ignoring the fact that there are already tax laws on the books so that when people bring these uh, products in from elsewhere, they're committing a felony. Mm -hmm. And there are state task forces whose job is to enforce these tax laws. So true, yeah, you bring in uh, some flavored vapes or you bring in some menthol cigarettes, you're not going to be sent to prison or arrested because of the flavor ban. You're going to be sent to prison or arrested because of the tax law, but the outcome is the same. And right. <laughs> and we're seeing it happen. And like, and you'll see you know, people in public health and, and journalists, you know, say like, oh, we passed this law in Massachusetts and it's been fine. Uh, just ignoring like the state's own reports saying that cross-border smuggling is now their biggest issue of enforcement and making a literal bullet point list of seizures and arrests that they've made and felony prosecutions that are currently in process. So yeah, they double down. They double down <laughs> and like, well, when we ban menthol, less, pe less menthol cigarettes were sold in Massachusetts. So it's a win. Right. It's like, <laughs> talk and about cherry picking. <laughs> and I think we're going to very quickly go to this transition of, you know, if, if we ban these products, nobody's going to go to jail to... Well, if we ban these products, only bad people will go to jail. <laughs> yeah. It'll no longer be possible to deny that it's happening. They'll just say, well, these are bad people who are breaking the law. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we are coming up on the end here. I know you've got a hard stop in, in, a, in a few minutes here. So we're going to um, wrap things up. But before I do, uh, I did want to give you the opportunity to uh, fill in any blanks or anything we didn't cover enough. Um, anything to add? I think we covered it. Uh, I think we did a great job covering this. So thanks for picking up everything. You know, I just I'll make the short pitch. You know, it is I think a pretty easy read. Uh, it's short. It's broken up into separate articles. Uh, some of them are quite short. Some are longer. Uh, but it covers a lot of ground. If you're interested in these issues, uh, you know, I think you'll I think you'll get a lot out of it. If you haven't read a lot of these things before, if it's been a long time, uh, and it'd be a great thing to share with uh, with other people who are interested in it. Uh, to make one last plug, I'll say. Amazon reviews help a lot. So if you if you get the book oh, yeah, and you yeah. enjoy it, or even if you don't, like I would, I think right now it doesn't have any reviews yet. It's been selling pretty well, but nobody's reviewed it. So I just finished uh, it this but, morning. So. All right, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to be the first? Uh, that, that's all we're helpful too. Uh, you guys, links are in the description below. There's a link to um, Jacob's website directly to the Amazon listing and um, to his Twitter account. Give him a follow. He he tweets some great stuff and. Uh, gives me a heads up on stuff sometimes too that I don't even know what's going on. So uh, it's good. And he's got two really good books. And did we, Alex, did we ever start our reading list page? I can't remember. Yes, we we, we, well, we don't have a page for it, but there's there's a slide tray. I think it's mm. on the resources page and books okay. will will flow by. And I, I know we'll, we'll need to add this to that list as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we'll add that. Actually, I think I'll just do a darn post. <laughs> we need to post with everything on one page so people can find it because there's some good stuff out there and, mm -hmm. and two of the books for sure that should need to be on that regarding tobacco harm reduction and vaping and all that are Jacobs. So that's why we keep having him back. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Not being a vapor himself. It's, it's uh, pretty refreshing to see that. So. <laughs> but you and, do. And yeah. You, well, yes. And, and, and yeah, one, you know, one last bit here. Um, what's next as far as, as coverage on this issue for you or, or other stuff that, you, that you're writing about? Yeah, uh, let's see. I've got a couple ideas for articles, but they're not quite fully developed yet. But uh, I think I can probably say that I'll probably have one in uh, an upcoming issue of Reason Magazine, uh, which uh, is 
great, great website if you're in magazine, if you're interested in these issues and publishes a lot of my work. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Maybe this time I mean it and I'm done writing about this. Maybe, maybe I'm fine. It's finally over. <laughs> I said it on now. There's so much more happening soon. Yeah. You know that. <laughs> you know that. You do you just keep getting sucked back in, don't yeah. you? <laughs> and the and the funny thing is, is how you end up, you know, you said you you tend to lean a little liberal and you you end up agreeing and being with on all these sort of uh more libertarian, you know sort of think tank things and, and publications. And mm -hmm. I tend to, I, I read Reason before just because I kind of am that center libertarian, but I became that after I became a vapor, you know, yeah. after I switched and saw this <laughs> happening. And and that's something that that I think vapors need to do is take back their their agency, take back their right to to enjoy things, to have their own space. Don't Don't let people keep pushing you in the corner and read this book and find out how that's happening. It'll open your eyes and you're going to be like, Hey, yeah, right. Why are we letting them do that? Why do, why do non-smokers get to have all the restaurants and, and, and why can't we have a couple bars to ourselves or this bowling alley over here could be smoking that, you know, <laughs> from a libertarian point of view, it's the capitalism, I guess, will decide which the non-smoking or the smoking place will do well. And this non-smoking places will do great. I, like you said, I'm happy to go in a bar and not come home reeking of cigarette smoke myself, but I'd like to still go in some places and vape. We can still do that here in my town, which is nice, but uh, not smoke. We can vape. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah it's we, we why can't we have that back? Why can't we? And Cl did you read Clive's article, recent one about that? Uh, I've got it in my Yeah, you can read it because it goes along those lines of what's wrong with looking at nicotine as being something like caffeine and alcohol and cigars and something that people can enjoy and not just something that somebody's addicted to. And that's the only reason we use it, you know, but sorry, I'm done. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, and, and really quick, uh, I, I try to get, so for people who don't know your other work, you also write as, uh, as we mentioned beverages, I know you have another book out and it's sitting on your desk and yes. I'm trying to get you to hold it up. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if anybody's interested in other vices, uh, I do have a recent book out on, um, home bartending. So if you like cocktails, this is meant to be a very approachable guide to how to make drinks at home and stock your home bar, uh, can definitely tell you from the beginning, way more commercially successful than books about tobacco policy. Uh, also, <laughs> I need to also, get that one. My husband's getting into that. I got yeah. him a bar kit for Christmas. Yeah. Also, the graphic design on this is way more than, than I can pull off with, uh, with my It's books. very pretty. Yeah. The hardcover looks <laughs> very nice. On a very lighter topic, if you uh, <laughs> want something else fun to add to your, to your home book collection, that, that would be uh, one to check out. Fantastic. Lighter for now anyway. Yeah. So, um, but I, again, thank you for coming on on a Saturday and uh, we really appreciate your time and, and your work on this issue. Um, like I said, we will have Jacob's book uh, in, in our little recommendation tray on our resources page, I believe, uh, for people to go check out. And uh, the link to, to go find the book is in the description on this video. Uh, also in the link, also in the links in the description, uh, are going to be all the current calls to action. So we're not going to take your time with a, a, a legislative rundown uh, tonight. 
uh, but just you know, make sure you check. If you're curious about what's going on in your state, we've got resources for that on our website. Go to the Get Involved tab, and you can see the and you'll get to the big clicky map, and you can find out what's going on in your state or research the current policies that are affecting your access to safer tobacco and nicotine products. Uh, and I'm going to rapid fire go down the the, the <laughs> list of things we got to do to close this out. No worries. Uh, you, here. I got a few minutes. Don't oh, right. Hang out for just a minute after we're done. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm trying to make sure we get everybody in the background here. Um, so uh, if you are watching this live stream or listening to the replay, first of all, thank you for listening to the replay. Thank you for showing up live. But if you're not a CASA member, then you're doing it all wrong. Go to CASAA.org and join. It's absolutely free. You can either opt in uh, on the website or take action through one of our engagements. Um, and, uh, and and you'll be signed up as a member. Don't worry, we're not going to hit you with a bunch of spam. We've been criticized for not sending out enough emails. The most <laughs> you're going to get on a regular basis are reminders that this show happened and it's available on all the places where you get podcasts, Spotify, StreamYard. Uh, I don't know if we're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we are definitely on YouTube. Uh, so catch the replays, share the replays, share Jacob's book. Uh, and while you're on our website looking for all of the resources, don't forget or remember to pick up some merch and advocate in style. We've got t-shirts uh, Danielle has designed and they look amazing. Uh, so pick up some Kazaa t-shirts and walk around town and tell people that you are a free thinking adult. You like flavors and you want to vape uh, and that everybody else should have the same right. Um, I think I got everything. You can follow us on Twitter, Definitely. Instagram, Facebook, all the things. Find your state groups, get connected. Uh, you can find that through our website or just go on Facebook and look for your, your state group. Um, that's where people should be, but uh, not so much anymore. But go in, spark up the conversation and talk about policies that are happening in your state, in your town. Get to meet one another and uh, we can all work on this together. And so with that, I think... We're finished. I think I'm just going to add that last month I just finished updating all of the state pages, so they should all be up to date. And if you want to check out your state on the casa.org, uh, let me know if I've missed anything. Um, but uh, that's all updated. If you need that information too, calls to action are all on there and everything as well. Do, do we need? I, I know you have the I vape, I vote T-shirts, but do you have anything for the like? I don't vape, but I support freedom. Is that? Is that Not yet? But I'm that. gonna. I, I feel like Danielle will accept that challenge. <laughs> yes. And she would make it awesome. <laughs> her up for work. But all right. All so, right. With that. Uh, always good to be on. Yep. Likewise. Thank you. And thank you, and everybody, for joining in. us. And we'll, uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks.